0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Sujin Rowe. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is Donnie. Is it Vice? It's Waltz. Va- Walsh. Yes. Oh, that L looked like an I to me. Waltz. Ah,
1: no, it's it's definitely an L. It's a single L, which is probably why it looks weird to you.
0: Yeah, I, I, I should waltz have, have this before. Waltz. Yeah. <laughs> Should have asked beforehand. Anyway, uh, do you want to just introduce yourself and let people know who you are and why you're famous? Yeah, sure. I'm not famous,
1: uh, I would say. Um, (laughs) My name is Donnie. I'm an iOS engineer. I work on our SDK team at Disney, where I uh, build an SDK that powers Disney Plus and some other apps uh, that we work on. In my spare time, I do a lot of blogging, uh, writing books, podcasts, speaking, all that kind of stuff. So
0: That's uh, that's what I do. Very cool. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, elixir is a great way to go and we have a podcast now on elixir called elixir mix and you can find that at elixirmix.com and uh yeah i have to say if if you're working on disney plus then i've run your code um (laughs) my kids have run your code awesome (laughs) yeah
1: i hope they've enjoyed it and still enjoy it
0: yeah great stuff on there so yeah so um we brought you on today to talk about combine and I'm wondering, I'm kind of new to this and I haven't done a lot with it. Do you wanna just kind of give the 10,000 foot view on what Combine is and what it's used for and then we can dive into the rest of it?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Combine is what they call a functional reactive programming framework. Mm -hmm. And um, the easiest way to describe that is you react to a constantly changing environment in your app uh, through functional programming paradigms. So there's streams of events, streams of values, and you can apply operators like map or flat map that you know from functional programming to these streams to ultimately get something that you can show in your UI. Uh, it's very similar to a more well-known framework called Rx Swift that you may have heard of.
0: Makes sense. So is it UI-focused or is it functionality-focused, like a step back yeah. from the UI? It's it's functionality focused, so uh, it's very easy
1: because Apple announced SwiftUI and Combine together last year. To think that Combine powers UIs, which it can do, but it's mostly related to getting a value on one end, like a result of a network call or a press on a button, could be anything, and you manipulate that value in some way through a pipeline of operators like mapping over it. Um, maybe you want to remove duplicates from the stream. Maybe you want to retry errors. Maybe you want to create new publishers or whatever. And ultimately you end up with something that's usable in another place, which will usually be your UI, but it could also be a database or something else.
0: That makes sense. It sounds a lot like the, yeah, the RX family of stuff, you know, reactive X, RxSwift. RX Swift. Definitely. So why not just go with RX Swift? Also
1: one reason uh for me and I know a lot of other devs out there is that Combine is is first party. It's provided by Apple so you know that there's a certain um sense of it being I don't want to say stable but at least Apple blessed in that sense it's supported by Apple so you know that it's going to be around for a while. Um and also to me actually Combine makes the whole functional reactive programming principle click a little bit easier. Like there's small subtleties in there that for me and I know for some other people in the community, uh, made the whole paradigm just a bit easier to grasp and get started with.
0: I gotcha. I'm, I'm curious what the difference is between RxSwift and, you know, I'm, cause you, you're saying that it made it easier to make it click. So yeah. I mean, why is that? So
1: a big part of it is, I think, naming for some reason. Uh, Rx comes from a cross-platform uh, specification that it implements very closely, the the ReactiveX, you already mentioned it. And that is not always using terminology that you're familiar with from Apple's own frameworks. Combined also introduces a ton of new terminology, but for some reason... There's just the subtleties in naming, small subtleties in how it works uh, that make it easier. And I also think that there's a sense of simplicity in it, uh, where in RxSwift you can have observables or completables or singles or a bunch of other traits that are applied to publishers or what are called publishers in Combine. And Combine just has publisher. And it doesn't really have that concept of traits like Rx does. And I think that removes a lot of the the cognitive burden that comes along with learning Rx.
0: Gotcha. Sujin, have you done much with Combine? Uh, not really,
2: but I'm, so, uh, so I, I, I tried like Rx Swift a couple of years back, but, um, it didn't really click. So as, as in. But since it's first party now, I'm really open to, like, learning
1: it. Yeah. So I could see that also being a big part of it. Like, just being open to it simply because it's first party. Um,
2: yeah. Actually,
1: you yeah. Know, if you're really open to something that makes it much easier to learn, which could also be part of some sort of a unconscious bias uh, towards combined. I don't know.
0: It's It's, I mean, that's an interesting point just from the standpoint of, you know i do a lot of these podcasts talk to people from a lot of communities and if the um if the open source community around say javascript or ruby or you know whatever built something into the standard library say which is kind of a similar deal to this right so now it ships with the inf- infrastructure that i'm going to pick up anyway um that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to use it in fact a lot of people stick with their third party stuff because It works because they're used to it and, you know, they don't necessarily feel like the implementers or um, committee members on, you know, on the specification teams necessarily understand what they need. So this is a very interesting um, thing that I've seen just in the iOS community, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's somewhat of a fair comparison, but also somewhat unfair, I would say, because... For iOS, you have like Swift, the language, and then you have mm-hmm. the iOS SDK, right? That comes with all these frameworks that are bundled. I think maybe it could be different. Like let's say you're a Ruby developer and something's added to the standard library, but not to Rails or just not an official package that comes with Rails mm-hmm. or I'm not sure how Rails works exactly, but I imagine it's something like that. Um if, if something is included in Rails, I think people would be more likely to pick whatever Rails comes with than that's another third That's true of Rails, party. yes. Um, and I think it's, it's a better comparison to compare like the iOS SDK with Rails, where if it mm-hmm. is bundled in there, why would you add another framework that does the same thing if there is yeah, one that comes true. with your software development kit?
0: Yeah, the Rails, Rails community another, is one that I'm very familiar with and I agree with you there. Go ahead, Sujin. Yeah. So another and
2: another uh, another reason why this first uh, first party combined uh, is really more uh, more accessible is because this concept of FRP is uh, so different from our previous uh, like declarative uh, programming, right? So it's like a huge shift on how we develop apps, but you know, I I didn't really feel like comfortable or like uh, the real necess- necessity to adopt this huge uh, third-party like frame framework to for like a whole new different way of developing app. So that was a big hurdle for me. And like when I see some uh, some apps coded like it has Rx Swift, but it's the app is not. Coded in RX, RX way, but only some parts like little, very small parts are uh, adopted and it, like some parts are not. So this is really, was really confusing. And I didn't really see the benefit in that. But if this uh, library is first party, I think, uh, I I just, just in my biased mind, I think it would be like much easier to have them like coexist coexist or, um, like see less confusing code maybe
1: yeah definitely i think one of my favorite um, examples for combined is networking um, because apple actually made sure that url session now has uh, a data task method that creates a publisher for you so it's it's pretty straightforward to say hey you know what i'm going to keep my callback based networking layer but on the inside I'm going to start using combined a little bit and I slowly, you know, have that fan out to the rest of my app. Like you don't need to, to pull in a big dependency and get all this foreign weird concepts in, you can just use URL session like you're used to. And I, I think that makes it very accessible to folks because they can just experiment with the, the ideas and technologies that they already know.
0: So I'm assuming that this is ready for prime time. Sometimes we see frameworks come out. I, I'm hearing discussions about Swift UI, uh, Swift UI in this respect, right? It's like, look, it, it looks cool. It does cool stuff. Uh, not something I'm using in my projects right now because it, it doesn't quite align with the way that I want to work. Um, are you hearing the same kinds of things about com, uh, Combine? Or is it more, it's like, hey, this, this thing's ready to go.
1: It's, it's far more... Uh... Far more mature out of the gate um, there are of course some rough edges. There are some things that produce memory leaks that shouldn't produce memory leaks or um, that you know are suboptimal or are missing um, like for example there's there's a whole third party community that adds extensions to combine to make it do certain things, and I think like over the next especially maybe this year already at WWDC, but also the years after. I think Apple will patch these holes and implement these missing features to get Combine to a place where, you know, third-party extensions are no longer as essential as some people think they are right now. Um, I say some people think because you can do anything you want, pretty much anything you want with Combine already. It's just far easier with a couple of small extensions on it.
0: Um so you you brought up the network example. Are there other examples of things that you've done with combine yeah so i've I've done
1: uh, a bunch with with combine to to play with it and to see what I could make it do. It's also very useful to let's say have a model in your code that will update over time and that will publish values or you know that will simply mirror some some state in your app and by making that a publisher, you can subscribe to it in other places of your app and make certain things happen. Like, for example, it's it's pretty straightforward to build a dark mode toggle in your app that will either use the system dark mode setting or something custom uh, simply by saying like, hey, this view will uh, update itself as soon as the dark mode state of the app changes and By doing that all with Combine and by making that all publishers, you change the the underlying value of the publisher and it will automatically send this new value to all of its subscribers. So that means that you're doing very little bookkeeping in other places of your app because everything will just flow from that origin to wherever it needs to go, which I think is really cool.
2: Oh, and, um, the combined as well as SwiftUI, it's it's at the minimum version is iOS 13, right? So, yeah. uh, so what what are your some tips on like uh, how to how to start using it? You know.
1: Yeah. So, so that's always a bit of a tough one because you don't want to do all your work twice, right? So if you really still have to support like iOS 11. And next year you can drop 12 and then the year after you can go to 13. I would probably say, don't bother with it too much yet, unless you're building a feature that's going to be iOS 13 only anyway, then maybe integrate it there. Uh, but if you're going to do double the work just to support like two versions back and then also the current version, then it's probably not worth your effort just yet. Uh, but if, if like you're going to start an app today, I would say make that app iOS 13 and up because by the time you're going to publish the app, iOS for 14 is probably, you know, in its very late beta stages or even released yet. And um yeah, Apple recommends supporting the last two iOS versions, so that would be 13 and 14 by the end of this year. And otherwise, it's really a balancing act, like how long are you gonna have to do the double work for? How much work is it? And I personally am not always a fan of, especially with something that would take a big place in your app. Like you could do your whole layer in it or make all your view models, vend certain publishers, if you're doing MVVM. Um, Yeah. You would end up duplicating so much that I don't think it's worth it to maintain that for a longer period of time.
0: That makes sense. What if you have an app that you're upgrading to iOS 13? So it runs iOS 11 or iOS 12 and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to bump it up because people are upgrading their phones and iPads and stuff like that. And I want it to run with the latest and greatest stuff and Combine looks like it'll solve some issues for me.
1: Yeah. Then, then definitely uh, go all in um, or well, maybe not all in at once. Uh, I would start looking at um, some places in your app where you can start slowly integrating it like maybe not immediately make your entire pipeline from network to view model or from core data to view model to ui uh all in combine all at once but maybe stick with only the view model and have that then some publishers that your ui subscribes to and then from there go deeper and deeper and deeper depending of course on how much of this refactor and innovation bandwidth your team has because that in my experience is often the most limiting factor, like how much time do you get to migrate over? If you have unlimited time, then go for it. You just keep, keep churning out these new features. If you don't, then maybe take it one layer at a time because you can do that. And I think that's a very good approach.
0: One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com.
2: I'm also kind of curious about... Uh, Your, your opinion on this, on the bigger uh, FRP. So do you think, do you think the whole app uh, could or should be written in FRP? Or if not, like, where are some, some uh, special areas that could benefit more from this combined or FRP? Yeah,
1: that's that's an interesting question. Um, I definitely don't think that everything should be FRP uh, because sometimes you're going to make things more complicated than they need to be Um, a very good example of something that in my opinion is a really good candidate for FRP is anything that will change constantly over time like let's say you implement an app that uses location services and you start monitoring the user's location Currently in iOS, you use a delegate for that and then your delegate callback is called every time with a new location object. Now, what if you would wrap that delegate into an object that uh, has a publisher for the current location and you can subscribe to that? And so instead of having a delegate method, you can receive these events through the uh, FRP pipeline and apply transformations to it where needed. I think that's a very good example of something that I think lends itself to a reactive or functional reactive style really well. But then the part where you ask the user for permission, if you can track their location, that is more of like one-off operation and that dialogue, you can do all of it in functional reactive programming, but I wouldn't necessarily do that. Like maybe only wrap the current authorization state in a publisher. So you can, you know, subscribe to changes in that, but triggering that dialogue and handling it, I would probably keep that in the in the old-fashioned style because it's so, so one-off and so, you know, unchanging, basically. I mean, you can do it. There are people that go really all out on FRP and make every interaction in their app functional reactive programming. And I'm not a big fan of it because that's – What you said earlier as well, it it makes it look so complicated and so hard to follow that it's a big bullet to bite if if that's what you're going for.
0: So how do you know once you're kind of getting to that line of too much or too far, that's, that's
1: always a tough question. It's usually you don't realize until you've passed the line and you start fighting the framework and you start jumping through crazy hoops to get something done. I think that's a good indicator that you should, maybe rewind a couple of commits in your Git history and second guess whether you made the best choices along the way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's no real hard hard cutoff where, you know, you can see it miles ahead.
0: Yeah, but sometimes there are, um, there are code smells or other things that you can pick up on patterns in your Definitely, behavior yeah. that you kind of go, ugh, something's not right here. Definitely, yeah. Like I've seen
1: examples where people wanted to uh, have publishers and combine and then listen to the output of that publisher and then in the handler for the output, create a new publisher and then listen to that. And then secretly forward that instead of the initial value and became this crazy web where you're like, are you sure that you're thinking about this the right way? Like, shouldn't you split this up in something Mm -hmm. different? And take a completely different angle because it's starting to sound like you cannot even describe what you're trying to do anymore, which is usually a very good sign that it's, it's time to, you know, rethink what you're doing. I'm sure we've all been there.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So I'm also wondering like, what kinds of operators does it provide to you in Combine? Oh, there
1: there's, there's tons. Um, most commonly of course, map, flat map, compact map, That's just a couple of very straightforward ones that pretty much do exactly what you would expect as a Swift developer. Um, Another one could be replace error, where if your stream of events emits an error, you can replace that with a valid value. Um, Things like catch. If if an error is emitted, you can catch it, handle it in any way you need. Uh, There's remove duplicates to remove duplicates from the stream. There is a very cool one uh, to debounce values, which is very useful if you're building something that triggers a network request, like maybe some you know search feature where you automatically search once the user has typed like, at least three characters. You don't want to go search on every character. You want to like wait a couple milliseconds to make sure the user isn't still typing quickly. Uh, there's an operator that helps you do that. Um, there's remove duplicates for the same purpose, basically, like you don't want to issue the same search query twice. There's no point. Uh, So that publisher, that operator would swallow any duplicate values. There's retry to restart the entire pipeline if an error occurs. And there's just many, many more. There's also uh, operators that allow you to merge or combine the output of one or more publishers into a single stream, which can be very useful. And yeah, there's there's a whole list in Apple's documentation. They did a very good job of uh building many components that we can use to build extremely sophisticated pipelines.
2: Yeah, when I s when I uh wanted to start learning Rx Swift, so all these um like operators and all these different types of uh, publishers, should I say. I'm not I'm not really familiar with the terminology, but it was all it was really like kind of overwhelming, right? So this this the, that's the that's the hard part about uh, starting uh R- FRP. But um I I actually uh found like uh so I felt like Rx was too big. And so I I found like a small um I, I wouldn't say substitution, but like I I use um concept, I use third party libraries for the concept called promise. So mm-hmm. it's like the promise concept I I I kind of used it while uh while I was developing javascript for a while but this promise concept is like so this um publisher in Rx Swift they constantly emit values right so, but promise is just like one time one time uh value uh so i think like but i use promise quite a lot in my like Project in my side projects, or also in my previous team, I kind of adopted it. So everyone, I ta- I I kind of like taught everyone how to use it. And it's a really good, it's a really lightweight and a good, good, uh, good, like good framework for replacing complete completion handlers, like 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 several depths of completion handles. You can get rid of all those. So I think that might be a good place to like uh start uh start with frp i maybe but this is kind of like absurd maybe maybe it's weird but because like uh if you if i but because like after i learn how to use promise like transition from this to frp kind of uh seems easier for me because instead of like thinking so now i i can think of like publisher as emitting Constantly emitting values. So like one step at a time, that's this kind of how I feel.
1: Definitely. Yes. One Like two of my favorite promise features are also quite possibly the thing that makes promises attractive to everyone is the ability to say, hey, take this promise. And when it's completed, create a next promise and then another one. And then like, I think most of them call it the end or end then operator. They just keep making promises. And that's very convenient. And. Um, you can also say, like, "Hey, take this array of promises, and as soon as they're all done, then inform me." Like, those are unfortunately two concepts that are not necessarily always straightforward and combined. Like, there are uh, operators that would do similar things, but they're slightly different from their promise counterparts. But I do agree that that idea of taking a promise, having it do something, and then feeding the output into a next operation or promise. That is basically what FRP is like all the time. Like you have something that produces some value, and then you can do things with that value. But I think there's even promise implementations for Swift that have things like map built in. Um yeah. and those are like very, very similar. The only major difference is that a promise is guaranteed to only do something once and a publisher can do something many, many times. Uh, and then if you look at Rx Swift, what you mentioned about the many kinds of publishers, um, those are the, the observable traits of Rx Swift where you can have something that's called a single or an observable that could values or a completable that will not emit any values, but just finish. And you can toggle between them, right? So you can take an observable and convert it to a single and then convert that single to a completable. And yeah, yeah. that's that's where I get lost. That's where I'm like, What's going on here? Like, this is getting crazy. So yeah, definitely a good uh, analogy under promises. Okay.
2: And and then another part of you know FRP is functional, right? It's is part of like functional programming? Yes. So I just feel um, like how how big part is it? Because um, because I um I like functional programming. I like writing code functional, like having mm-hmm. all this side effect free functions and combining them. So, is that also helpful in like writing combined or, yeah?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, so the the functional bit of functional reactive programming is basically it's bread and butter, right? Because what happens is that your publisher will emit a value, and that value is then fed into another uh, into a function or an operator, right? In that function, inside of the operator will do something with only that value. You don't want to have any side effects there, so you're not going to grab anything that is not directly fed into that operator. And that makes it very, very functional. And because you can chain all these operators and they're all very small, tiny pieces of work that accept some input and then produce some output, um, I would say that it doesn't really get much more functional than that. So it's, it's, it's super functional to write your code that way. And of course, at some point in the end of, of your pipeline, you're going to have the side effects, but those side effects are typically only applied by the subscriber, right? By the person who wants to receive the value, like the final value of the pipeline and then do something with it. And that would be the only side effects, ideally, that you have. I mean, in practice, you could have one or two side effects along the way but that's true for any form of functional programming like you cannot always be 100 percent pure
0: yeah true are you freelancing or moonlighting or maybe you've thought about going out on your own every week we have a group of developers at various stages of a freelancing journey on the freelancer show to talk about becoming better at freelancing we also bring in experts to talk about marketing seo and delivering high quality to clients so if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. So, does this add any overhead if you're trying to test or you know, things like that, right, where you're you're building the app and you want to test the app? Does it change that from the way that testing's been done otherwise?
1: Uh, you mean like automated testing or manual?
0: Yeah. Okay, automated testing.
1: Yeah, so for automated testing, it's um slightly different than what you're used to mostly because um, you want to make sure that you're not accidentally testing the operators that you're using. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. You you shouldn't really care about like, does map do what it's supposed to do? Right. Um, Because you should assume that Apple did a okay job and that that all works. And like in, in its purest form, it's basically the same as testing any other asynchronous code. The biggest difference is that if you have some publisher that should emit a number of values, like a series of values in a certain order, like you might want to test that. Like if, if I run this process, I should get progress events and every next progress event should always be larger than the previous one. Like I don't want to go back in progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you're going to have to somehow assert that uh, so you would Basically, run your unit test, collect all the values that are emitted by your publisher until it sends its completion event. And then after that completion event is sent, then you do your assertions. So it's it's minorly different than you might be used to. Um, but once you sort of have that mindset, I have found it to be almost easier to test code this way than to test some other asynchronous code, because this is far more um, straightforward. Like it's far easier to have a good overview of this because it's also predictable due to its functional nature.
2: So in your unit test, do you, do, you, do we have to use ex, uh, the expectation? Yeah. Test? Oh. Uh,
1: mostly, yes. Um, I do it always anyway, just to be sure, but you could have Uh, Like, of course, once you're mocking, like your networking and everything, you don't necessarily have asynchronous networking anymore. Your network calls could be synchronous. Uh, But even then, I don't trust my code to be synchronous enough to completely execute before my test scope is finished. So I still always create an expectation and I fulfill that expectation either when I receive a single value, if that's what I want to test, or when the publisher sends its completion event if that's what i want to test but yes it's all it's all done with uh with xc tests uh built-in features so that's very nice
2: are there any like uh new uh, new test apis for just because Combine came out or just just use all uh, previous apis
1: uh it, it uses all the previous apis uh, apple did add a lot of unit testing capabilities in, in xcode 11 that we didn't have yet like for example uh, tests can throw now where they couldn't test before like you can make uh some some improvements there but i don't think any of those improvements are necessarily related to combine um like you can test it with all the familiar uh patterns and the familiar constructs i do kind of hope that for ios 14 they add something like a special subscriber that's only available within xc test where you can say hey i want to have like a subscriber for my combined code that will assert that these values are omitted or something like that i wrote an extension for that myself and it it really if you have something like hey you know i have a publisher here just assert that whatever it outputs equals all of these values Um, it makes your test code just a little bit cleaner to have that tucked away in a little extension and i hope that apple implement something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. So we'll see. Have there been any indications of what's coming?
1: Not that I know of, no. Um, The the hopes from the community are really high. I have seen some people express the hope that Apple would open source Combine, which would be huge if they did. I doubt they will, but it would be really cool if they did.
2: Uh, And chop Apple don't (laughs) provide indications. And what's coming I know, but sometimes you it,
0: see? <laughs> it sometimes <laughs> so you it feels no like idea. stuff gets leaked, and then they were right. And I don't. Know.
1: Yeah, s- sometimes, but no. Uh, if if something big is coming for for combine, uh, they have kept it under wraps really well. Um, there's also nothing happening uh, on the Swift forums, for example, that point to anything huge for combine specifically. Because sometimes the switch forum can have, you know, like some proposals or some new features being discussed or implemented where like, Oh, okay. This, this could power something huge in in some iOS version, but nothing of the kind.
0: Makes sense. I
2: think, well, I think like open sourcing combined would, would really work it can work. I think it it makes sense because it's kind of like weird for me that you can contribute to Swift language but com- not combined because it combined feels like you it can benefit from being open source because there are so many community suggestions and new features that can just build so faster, be build fa- can be built faster if more people like gave input. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Maybe. Um... Mm-hmm. I also don't like for Swift UI. I really doubt that Apple could make it open source reasonably because I'm sure Swift UI depends on So many other frameworks from the iOS platform that they would basically have to open source like half of iOS, maybe not half, but a lot of iOS uh, to make that work. But I feel like combine stands on its own feet. Right. Like if we can have RX swift open source. I don't see what Combine needs in terms of like other frameworks or private frameworks that would not allow them to, you know, just ship that framework independently. Cause it also cool. would be huge for Swift on the server. Like I know that the the people working on Swift Neo, which is one of the networking libraries, uh, they would love to have Combine in Swift Neo, and I think for that to happen widely, the Combine would need to be open source.
2: Cool. Just like just just imagining that one of iOS framework will be open source really it's a really crazy idea, but it's really like yeah. exciting.
1: <laughs> I think it would be like the the second framework, maybe. I believe they they did one framework uh, that was like back when they introduced automatic reference counting, like when Objective C was still cool. I think that was the only framework that they open sourced at some point. I don't think they've done anything like that again.
2: Oh, really? What other than, I, I never yeah,
1: I, I think there was something to allow older apps. Oh no, That was the only time they backported something to allow older iOS versions to have automatic reference counting. Um, I think open source wise, I cannot think of any frameworks that are open source other than, you know, the ones that were Built by the Swift team, like uh, the Swift crypto thing that they announced earlier this year. So that would be huge. That would be so cool.
2: Are there any other wishes for this year?
1: For WWDC? um, Yeah. So, one thing that I've been hoping for for years now is a decent networking debugger in Xcode. So, I don't need to use a third party app to see what uh, network transfer stuff my app is doing. I would love to have that in Xcode or instruments even I don't care as long as it's, you know, built in and I don't need to have a third party app and proxy on my phone and all that. And otherwise just some improvements to combine, uh, you know, I'll absorb some of the community extensions and make it part of the framework. Uh, some good UI kit integrations would be nice. It's currently, there's no way to, for example, subscribe to the value of a slider be really cool if they could implement that and otherwise just swift ui make it usable make it you know ready to to build a serious app in and otherwise not much what about you
2: mm, Actually, i don't really have like specific wishes
1: Yeah. <laughs> just happy with anything
2: yeah happy with anything new but like i'm a i'm a Fan of like AR kit, so I just hope more AR features come out and more. Oh. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll come out with uh, with some cool AR kit improvements, especially with uh, the iPad's new sensor. I think there should definitely be some kind of a f- new feature coming that can use that sensor even better than we already can.
2: Yeah, this new iPad's uh, this lidar thing is really amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've seen some demos of it. I should still play with it myself, but I haven't had the time yet. But the demos look sick. They look
0: really good. Well, here's hoping. I guess we have our wish list for WWDC. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, one thing that I did see on um, the information you sent us is that you have a practical combine and you have a bunch of blog posts on combine. So are you it looks like this is a course is is that what i'm seeing here or a book it's it's a book so so
1: practical combine is is a book that i wrote to help developers get into combine uh, if they're not entirely sure what it is or where they would start if they already have an existing app or that just needs some real examples of what you can do with combine there are several really good resources out there um, that really go in depth on like the theory and the, the tiny details of how combine works and I wanted to to write something that was more focused on you know getting something done quickly and sort of you know getting your feet wet with this framework and then you know you can dive into the details afterwards but I just wanted to get people up and running with that so that's what the the book is all about and the blog posts are basically there to support it. Like there are the, the small, small little additions to small examples that I come up with and really just there to to help people really use Combine Cause I think it's a ton of fun to use it and more people should do it.
0: Nice. Well, it sounds like you've got a really nice on-ramp there for people if they want to learn more. Definitely. Yes. All right. Anything else that you want to bring up Sujin? I think I have asked uh, questions. I okay. got my answers. Good deal. Well, this is definitely something to go and check out and play with. Um, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Uh, Sujin, do you have some picks for us?
2: Um, yeah. So I haven't, uh, dug deeper to FRP, but this, uh, book called, um, functional Swift, uh, that, uh, that's from objective CIO. Uh, I, I, um, uh, I read the book. I, I actually, um, uh, ha- had a study at a study group uh, st- to read this and understand. And it was, it's a really good start for like a functional, functional uh, programming beginner. So it really gets you to how you can uh, start using this functional um, features in Swift, right? So like map, compact map, filter, or, or even like, uh, because in Swift, functions are, also type so you can make like function type so it's a really good practice uh they have all the sample codes all the um examples that you can um, learn and real that really uh this this book really uh, helped me get into this functional world so uh without using like difficult functional languages so i think this is a good place to start Uh, and i think this functional uh helped really Helps you, um, can help you like and uh, get ready for this FRP uh, new framework combined. So that's my pick.
0: Nice. Um, I'm going to throw out a few picks. I have iOS Remote Conf coming up. So um, definitely check that out. Um, Sujin's going to be speaking. Um, Uncle Bob Martin's going to be speaking. Uh, Ray Wenderlich is going to be speaking. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. So uh, definitely come and check that out. Um, that's at iosremoteconf.com. And then um, I'm also working on a podcasting course. And when I got into programming, there was a, a series called Railscasts. And it was Ryan Bates just talking about um, different concepts in Rails, which is what I was learning at the time. And it really helped me level up. And so I'm working on a similar series for podcasters. Um, and so you can find all that at my Podcastplaybook.com. And uh, yeah, going to be uh, doing uh, a sort of launch around the beginning of July. So keep an eye out for that as well. And I, I think that's pretty much all my picks today. Uh, Donnie, do you have some picks for us? I do.
1: Uh, I picked two things. One is um, a new project from Paul Hudson, uh, two straws on Twitter, author with Swift. And he recently uh, released a project called Understanding Swift, where he answers a ton of common questions that beginners have, like, why do I have to do certain things? Like, why does Swift have optionals? What are errors in Swift and that kind of stuff? So that's super valuable. So if you have any questions about Swift, uh, that seems like a good resource to go to. And then my second pick is Try Swift World. it's a fantastic conference from the TriSwift team uh, It's remote workshops. They're going to keep doing that uh, up right up until WWDC. And after WWDC, I think they're going to take about three weeks to a month break for that super long running conference until they are going to do some new workshops. Um, so that is really cool. We're going to have to see how WWDC goes, of course. That is a really cool initiative uh, that people should really check out if they are into that kind of workshops.
2: Yeah. I cool. actually wanted, I also wanted to take uh, tri-swift world, but I saw Donnie pick it. So I gave it, so I didn't <laughs> say, but yeah, so that's actually, that's actually like, yeah, two a double picks here because I took one course uh, last week and it was really amazing. So it's a, it's a small group, right? So it's like 10 people, yeah. Yeah. Like about 10 people and we, we do it like on Zoom. So we see each other's faces, uh, instructors faces and we share a screen and it's really like interactive workshop. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's it's a small group and um, they have like two hours of workshop uh, where you really get to spend time with uh, with everybody. They also have a Slack where the, uh, the workshop host will be around usually for a like a few weeks after their workshop still. So you even have a place where you can go after the workshop to ask questions.
0: So it's really nice. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming and talking to us, Donnie. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, till next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.